Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 40 of the Kennedy Mile Report, brought to you by our great sponsor, Clio, and its suite of online law practice management tools. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about how you can deal with the growing problem of software vendors who want to make changes to your default settings. We called that presumptuous computing. In this episode, we're going to take a close look at one of the most basic of all our internet tools and see how developments like social media are affecting our bookmarking experience. Tom, do you want to tell our listeners what our agenda is for this episode? Absolutely, Dennis. In this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we will talk about bookmarking, why it's so useful and why it's also so difficult to get right. Uh, in our second segment, we'll talk about good ways to dispose of old technology. And as usual, we will end with our parting shots, that one tip, website or observation that you can begin to use the second this podcast is over. But on to our main topic, and that is bookmarking. Uh, Dennis, you have said on more than one occasion, I might add, that you've been on a quest to find a good way to handle bookmarks and favorites for 15 years, longer than I've known you anyway. Do you feel that in this day and age of Web 2.0 and fantastic technology that you're getting any closer to a good answer? No, I I really don't. It's, it seems like it's getting harder than ever. And and I do go back 15 years. So in the first browsers, I loved the idea of bookmarking. And, you know, and, and that was really back in the days before was before Google, before there were search engines. And so you're always looking to find great sites and and then get back to them. And so the bookmark function was great. But I ran into all the problems that now there are some solutions for. But my first website, the Estate Planning Links website, was basically a way to put my bookmark sites up onto the internet so I could reach them from anywhere and then see if they were useful to to other people. So we've we've seen this this uh, I, there's always this big focus on search and and when we talked about this episode. I I think of bookmarks as return. So we have sort of search. You find something you want and you want to return to at some point. And and so typically that's done through favorites or bookmarks and you you have an easy way to sort of one click go back to a place. But you run into a lot of problems, dead links, uh, you know, things just change and it becomes difficult to find and, and manage those things. So that's what we want to talk about, Tom. I know uh, what's what's your experience been? Do you, have you struggled with bookmarks in the same way that I have? I don't know that I've struggled the same way, but I, I, I've always thought that bookmarks were sort of um, uh, the neglected stepchild of, of internet applications or, or internet usefulness. I, I think that bookmarks have a great use, but I would imagine that a lot of people out there don't keep a lot of bookmarks. I would imagine that at least sort of some of our more techie friends these days would say, well, just search on Google. You don't need to keep a bookmark for anything. We can find it instantly. And I, I think that misses the point of the bookmark. I, I do that a lot with sites, but there are also a number of sites that I need to keep or or to hold for other people. And and really, over the past couple of years, there have been a couple of developments. You talk about when you first started 
started looking at bookmarks within your browser, there have been a number of developments in bookmarks. And, and I think that there are three that we want to talk about here. And I've actually got a combination of all of them that I've been trying or using. And, and the first one is the idea of what's in the browser. The fact that you can keep your bookmarks in your browser, I think, is a great idea. But now that we have our bookmarks at home, we have our bookmarks on our work computer, we may have bookmarks in other places, um, makes it difficult. How do you uh, how do you get them uh, from one place to the other? How do you keep them uh, synced up? How do you keep them the same? And uh, originally, the browsers didn't do a very good job of responding to this. And so I've, until recently, been using a program called Xmarks. Xmarks is an extension that works with just about any browser, uh, Chrome, Firefox, Explorer. I think it works with Opera, works with Safari, it works with a number of them. And its job as an extension is to make sure that your bookmarks are synced in between all uh, of your computers. You can set up different profiles so that your home bookmarks are different from your work bookmarks or use only sync certain folders. It's a very useful tool that up until recently, I thought this is the tool I plan on using. And then about two weeks ago, Xmarks announced that they were uh, closing up shop. They've got 2 million users and those users uh, weren't paying any money and Xmarks had no business model. So it was going to have to go out of business. At that point, I went to I went back to my browser and said, OK, browser, what can you do for me? And as, as you know, I use the Chrome browser primarily and the Chrome browser now has its own syncing tool. So I can sync between every computer that I use Chrome on all of my bookmarks. I can actually sync all of my form filling, uh, all of my passwords if I want to. I can sync a lot of things. But uh, being able to sync my bookmarks using Google, um, Google Chrome, you can also do that with Firefox as well. Uh, I then found out uh, the past day or so that it looks like Xmarks is coming back from the brink, that they will have some sort of model, whether they'll be charging $10 or $20 a year for the program or what. But uh, there are a lot of people who don't want to see Xmarks go away. The next one really is uh, social bookmarking. And Dennis, I know you and I sort of tried. Uh, I, I have a lot of bookmarks on Delicious, but you and I sort of tried what is the, the goal of social bookmarking and that's sharing bookmarks. What was your recollection? of the experiment that we had using Delicious as a social bookmarking tool. Well, it seems so long ago. I mean, I, I think it was. that what, I mean, I think what happens is the idea of social bookmarking is great and shared bookmarking is is great. I mean, there's so much potential in it because you say, whether it's with two people or any number of people, the idea that you you, you can kind of collect in one place all these great websites that people have found um, and and then access them easily just is so tempting but what i what I found is that for me and, and Tom you know i'm I'm sort of a wacko when it comes to using the internet so at any given time yes. I could have two or three different browsers in uh, open and using them and so for what I've found lately is is I, I've tried to kind of streamline my approach I've bounced around from Chrome to Firefox to Internet Ex Explorer uh, to Safari and each of them has something that doesn't quite work for me but the one thing that does happen is I end up with bookmarks in each of those browsers <laughs> and, and not a great way to, to even keep them together on, on my own computer. But I think on the social bookmarking with what we did with Delicious and I can't remember what we, and I know we did a Yahoo one for a while, right, uh, right. is, is that 
you're in a browser, you're just really used to what you, you know, you just click and you, and you, and you have a bookmark. So to me, it always felt like if, if I wanted to use a social bookmarking tool, then I would click on something, something would pop up, would ask me to categorize it or do something like that. And I would end up going, this is like too big of a hassle. I just want to, I just want to bookmark this page and, and go back to it. So I think that, um, the the sort of and it's minimal, but the sort of rigor that it required, you know, for me to categorize, um, you know, on the fly when all I really wanted to do was just say, hey, I just want to put this in the big list to something I may go back to uh, caused caused me some difficulties. But and then also, I think it it resulted in uh, the the common problem that I have um and that I think you alluded to earlier is that if you think of bookmarks, how they were designed, I think they're really meant to say you would have, you know, half a dozen, maybe 15, maybe 20 bookmarks of sites that you would go to on a regular basis. And that's what you'd use bookmarking for. I think that those of us who use the Internet a lot just sort of blew away the whole bookmark uh, concept by bookmarking hundreds or even thousands of pages that we thought we might want to go back to. And, and then you get into the, the real complexity of, of, of management. So I think that volume really plays a big issue in, in bookmarks. And, and Tom, I'm sure you have zillions of bookmarks. I don't have zillions, but I, I, and I, I keep my bookmarks in slightly different in different places for different reasons. The bookmarks that I keep on my computer in my browser, I usually uh, have maybe a set, like you said, of 15 to 20 sites that I visit regularly that I want to go back to. And so I keep those. The rest of my bookmarks here are sites that I use for my newsletter, uh, research sites. And I've got about 1,500 of them, some of them of varying degrees of quality. So I don't plan on using all of them. But I've got about 1,500 sites that I would include as new research sites in my newsletter that goes out every week. Um, but uh, but for social bookmarking, and, 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 and I think that social bookmarking serves a couple of different purposes. The first is, like you said, it, it, it has the sharing aspect. Um, it is useful, and I wish that we could, could do this more often. It, it's useful that when you and I find links that might relate to this show, um, that we would post them to Delicious, uh, or that I would post them to Delicious so that you could then access them. And I know that a lot of shows do that. I know that This Week in Law does that, and 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 they post um, the links that they all then consult during the show, all the stories that they want to talk about. But that's really only one purpose, I think, of the of, of social bookmarking. I think that it also, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about the idea of curation of bookmarks, it allows me, if I want to, to open certain folders up as public on Delicious and say, here are my collection of collaboration links. Here in my collection of e-discovery links that anybody can get to and they can see what I think is interesting. And so it's it's my the essential way of, 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 of opening up my bookmarks to the world. And then finally, I think one of the, one of the main benefits of social bookmarking uh, actually addresses a failing of bookmarking within the browser, and that's the idea of folders. Um, and that you are forced to put something in a folder or just keep it all in one big long list. And that can be limiting and social bookmarking helps with that by allowing instead of folders allowing you to assign tags to a site so you can assign an, any number of tags to a particular site for example i save 
every blog that I mention on on my on Inter Alia, I, I mention my blog of the day. I put that in delicious, and I want to keep a list of blogs in certain topic areas. But then I also want to be able to keep that blog in a list of, uh, say, an employment blog. I want to keep it in the employment blog law tag. And so social bookmarking makes that very, very simple to do. Um, you know, Dennis, are there other options? Are there other ways of bookmarking that we haven't talked about? Well, I, I think there are some other ways, but I, I think that th- that brings us to where social media is really taking us, um, which I, I think is that, uh, once again, it raises the silo issue. And so to me, there's there's always been uh, you know, probably the biggest problem with bookmarks is it is a link back to a site as of a point in time. And so um, it's the dead links issue. And so, you know, we've written articles in the past, even not that old, where you have, you know, links to to articles. I'm sure a lot of our old blog posts are this way, where the links are just dead. I mean, the page, the page has moved, the website's no longer around. And I was on uh, Wikipedia the other night, and Wikipedia is always great because at the end it has a list of references. And in a way, that Wikipedia article is is kind of like a great social bookmark tool on a on a topic because it has those references. And and right. for the article I was on, the first three pages that I hit were all dead links. And and I said, oh man, if Wikipedia has this example, what's the point of of my old bookmarks that I keep? Because you know, there's so many of them that are going to be dead. So that's that's one thing. The other thing I think is really happening is as a result of. Uh, you know, frankly, search not working as well as as maybe it once did. Um, you know, some other things happening. We're starting to say, hey, I get recommendations of websites I want to go to through RSS feeds, say my Google Reader, through people I follow on Twitter, through Facebook, through these other things. And and you find and you say, how do I keep those all in one place? And then the class and then time you and I actually, instead of using the social bookmarking tools, tend to just pass URLs to each other over Skype instant messaging a lot. And so then those are kept, if they're kept at all, are in a completely different place. And then last night we ran into, or the night before we ran into the problem that that I think is really difficult these days is there's a podcast I really like and I want to tell you about it. And it's really difficult to track it down and figure out what the URL is and, and to send you a link. And there's not really a great way to bookmark that because those things tap tend to be in iTunes. So I, I think that uh, it's a kind of an expansion of the problem to say, um, I want to find something that works uh, across all these different silos. And in a way, that's why things like X marks and that kind, kind of came into play. But I, I don't know that the social bookmarking tools answer all the questions as we start to share URLs in all those different places. You know, I think you're right. Now, now, when we come to the idea of dead links, uh, I think that that comes down to two two different things, which is first, when we talk about Wikipedia, for example, that's a matter of curation. I, I'm surprised that we find dead links on Wikipedia entries, given how often and how well those pages are kept up. You would think that someone was also monitoring the links for their freshness and making sure that things were still working. Um I I think it's hard for a site like uh, for my bookmarks on Delicious. I have no idea what's a live link and what's not a 
live and or good link anymore. But I will tell you that that for my bookmarks that I use at home, I have a fantastic tool that I've been using for years now. It's called, and I, I had stopped using it because I didn't think it was available for Chrome. But I preparing for this podcast, I discovered that it that they have a new version that is available for Chrome, and it's called AM Dead Link. We'll put a a, a a link up there in the show notes for this. It's a free software tool, and it scours through your bookmarks in. It went through my 1500 bookmarks in about 10 minutes because it actually is going out and connecting to all of those sites to see if they're getting a real site and then it brings you all the error messages it tells you what uh, where you're getting to 404 errors which means that the page doesn't exist anymore it'll give you other errors if maybe authentication is required or if for some other reason it couldn't reach it it is a fantastic tool for pruning your bookmarks and keeping them current um, but I, I really think though that that's the big issue I think that that social bookmarking it's a curation issue more than anything else making sure that the links are current um is something that the current programs really can't the social bookmarking really can't do and i think that's a real big failing dennis do you have any final thoughts on bookmarking yeah i want to talk a little bit about curation and and talk about one solution i have to the dead links thing which again is one of the wackier things i do but i tend to if there's a a a page that I find that's really useful to me, I just capture it as a PDF and throw it into a folder that I then is available for me to search actually on my computer. But the curation uh, idea is is really interesting. And I sort of th- think of this as kind of a back to the future idea. So the idea is trusted guides. So in the early days of the internet, you know, you had Yahoo, you really didn't have search engines as we know them now. And so there were all these cool things out on the internet are are in the World Wide Web where you would say, if I find something, I want to let people know about them. And so people did sites that were, and this is uh, blogging actually grew out of this, uh, the links type of site that I did where people went out and said, I'm, I have a subject matter expertise and I'm going to collect the best sites and I'm going to arrange them and I'm kind of take care of them and see what's up to date and maybe rank them and, uh, you know, do those sorts of things, which is curation is, is what we're talking about now. And you and I uh, several years ago did a, a regular set of articles called The Strongest Links where we tried to collect some of the best uh, websites on a, a topic and then annotate that. Um, there's great examples. Some of the law librarians did terrific work um, in, mm-hmm. in that area. Yeah. And so I think there there is that notion of curation. So I think now I think we're moving back. To that idea of, of curation, and we're, but also with that the sort of social element to say, okay, are there ways to share? And then I think the the really interesting piece of that will be if I can connect. And, and to me, this has sort of been the holy grail in bookmarking, and especially if I share them. If I have a lot of people who I think are really great, so you know, on subject matter, and I can access their bookmarks, and that becomes what I search those bookmarks rather than just a general Google search, then the quality of information I'm going to get is going to be so great. And I think that's that's kind of the the holy holy grail of that. So I sort of see two things. This, the social, what they call social search these days, 
which I just described. And and then also I think better aggregation because people are really starting to use Twitter as a way to say, here's a cool site and here's a URL. Um, and then I, I think we can leave for another day, Tom, what, what is the layer of abstraction that is going to present some difficulties, which is the URL shorteners. So um, that's what I think. And, and I think it also evolves us to what we've always talked about as personal knowledge management where this becomes a big piece of it. Well, I, I think the the irony here is that as these tools become more developed and, and automate a lot of this, that the still the best way to make sure that your bookmarks are uh, are in good shape is to is to go in and do it yourself and do it manually in, in a lot of cases anyway. So it'll be interesting to see where this takes us. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Clio, with its great suite of online practice management tools. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code KMR for a 25% discount. Interested in having a show on Legal Talk Network? We'd like to talk to you about building your firm's marketing strategy with Legal Podcasts. Give us a call at 781-551-9960. That's LegalTalkNetwork.com. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And we have another edition today of Stuff Tom and I Have Been Talking About. And then I also have a question to ask our listeners to get some input for something that... that, uh, I or probably Tom and I might write about in the in the future. And Tom, I ran into this great article on on Jim Hammond's blog called "A Complete Guide to Dealing with E Junk," and it kind of relates back to what we we're talking about curation because it's a really handy, comprehensive post that has uh, essentially annotated links to places uh, where he's, as he says, where you can bring your business e-junk when it's expired. And so it addresses the question that we have of, we have this old computer equipment, uh, printers, all sorts of stuff sitting around. We want to get rid of it and we want to get it rid of it in the right way and in a good way. And maybe, you know, figure out ways to trade it in and get some, some benefit from it. Um, and, here in one handy article, he has a great resources by vendor and other, you know, other ways where you can say, here's something I can do about that. And, you know, I'm cleaning out my basement these days and I'm, you know, I have stuff down there. Like I have an old map, uh, Macintosh, more than 20 years old, still in a box at my house from where I put it when I stopped using it um, with its fantastic external 30 megabyte <laughs> hard drive I paid a thousand dollars for. Um, and so, Tom, I, I think proper disposal is an issue on several levels, and I know you'll probably talk about the data aspect of it, but uh, what impressed you about about this post? Well, you know, I think that when you look at the post, I look at the links, and I, I'm, I guess what impressed me the most at first is that so many companies are doing this now, because I would say that that's 
a relatively new phenomenon and and whether that is a let's all jump on the green bandwagon or you know really responsible computing and 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 management of computer technology is part of it i'm not sure but uh the links that i looked at they all talk in terms of recycling i'm assuming i'm making the assumption that that these sites will also dispose of data that cannot be recycled for you i mean for example that mac is a fantastic probably in fantastic pristine shape but it's certainly not something that's going to be recycled for use by anybody so it's either going to be disposed of or it's going to be prettied up and put in a museum somewhere as an example of a, a tool people were using 20 years ago um but but because it gives a lot of alternatives, it gives a lot of different companies that you can look at, not just the vendors like Dell or Lenovo or places like that, but even places like Best Buy or eBay or things like that are included within the post. But I think that the main issue and, and what the post doesn't cover is that and frankly, what lawyers and legal professionals need to think about is when they're either when you're either donating or recycling or junking your computer equipment, you have to worry about, like you said, Dennis, the data that's currently on it. Um, I remember over the past couple of years, there have been a number of studies. One that was most memorable was from some MIT students who went out to a junkyard, found a lot of hard drives in the junkyard and on every single hard drive. They were able to recover credit card information, personal health health information, things that people would never want that to be found by anybody. And it's just amazing what people allow to go out there. And when you're talking about lawyer hard drives, you're talking about data that's likely client related and therefore confidential. So just to maintain your malpractice insurance, you need to make sure that uh, that when you get rid of the old hardware, you have to turn over the hard drives completely wiped of that information. I, you know, a lot of the services mentioned I, I, in the in the post that we've been reading, Dennis, they do offer disk wiping services. I'm not sure I would recommend that you rely on them for your disk wiping, although it's probably perfectly good when we're talking about your confidential data. You want to uh, to do that yourself. And there are a number of tools. We're going to post them on the show notes. There are some open source ones. Kill Disk and Boot and Nuke are a couple of the free open source ones available. There are a number that, that you can buy for, uh, uh, for a, a small amount that will completely wipe your computer clean. Obviously, it takes a long time to do that. Um, we'll put the, like I said, put the links on the show notes pages. But but I that to me is the most important thing to think about when you're getting rid or recycling of a computer. Dennis, what do you think about this? Well, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think it, it really, the focus for me is to say, as tempting as it is to, to take this stuff and, you know, leave it at the side of the street to have them pick it up, that just is irresponsible. And so you want to find a good way to, to get rid of, of things. And when you talk about hard drives, I, I think about that as almost like I would, I almost feel like you you want to recycle this stuff, get rid of it, but like keep all your hard drives. And <laughs> you're right, there are there are some tools out there, and I don't know, possibly one of those tools is your handy power drill and drill holes through through a, a hard drive to you know try to make it unusable. But you know, people could do a great job of restoring hard drives, so maybe you can get rid of the rest and just keep your hard drives. And everybody has a zillion USB drives around and. and and stuff so it really becomes a uh, you know a difficult issue and if if you read some of the articles about how uh, the electronic waste are disposed of in in uh, 
you know, in essentially the the third world type of countries, it's very scary what's what's going on and and what's going to happen to your stuff and the impact it could have on people. So I I think it's an important issue. You know, not, not that you know you need to be that we're saying you got to be green and all that, but I think you do need to think about you know the waste cycle that's happening here with with those uh, components, especially as we kind of routinely get new equipment. The other thing I think on disposing of things is is thinking about ways that you can pass it on to somebody you know that that might be want to use it. Are be able to use it in a way that you can't, you know, whether that's uh, your spouse or your parents or so, you know somebody who can use sort of like the lesser computer that you've outgrown that would be perfectly fine for them. Tom, do you have a uh, last thought? Well, no, my 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 last thought is, and you talk about about using your power drill to drill holes through it. I've been through a number of of seminars on how not to commit malpractice with your PC. And and our friend Ross Codner has a number of slides that show melted hard drives and taking an axe or shooting your hard drive or other things. And the only thing that absolutely completely gets rid of the evidence and, and the data, I, evidence was kind of a Freudian slip because it was where I was headed in just a second, uh, are the software tools that that will erase your data. And and the, the caveat there is, is that, you know, there are tools called evidence eliminator, which the, the purpose for that is clear. And in the field that I work, e-discovery, using those types of tools can be criminally sanctioned, uh, sanctionable conduct. So uh, be careful before you use them that you are using uh, these tools in uh, in accordance with uh, your responsibility, your obligation as a lawyer, and that you are not destroying any data that you uh, that you shouldn't be. Dennis, uh, I understand. Let's move on to the last part of this segment. I understand that you actually have a question for our listeners. You uh, want to let them know what you're interested in learning about? Yeah, I was on a video conference the other day with uh, a couple of groups outside the U.S. And there, when everybody spoke, there was clearly a three to four second lag on the audio. And it just made it really difficult to have any continuity in conversations and people were talking over each other, all that, all that sort of thing. And it made me feel like I, we were going back to sort of like the, the early days of radio when you needed to say over at the end of everything that, when you were done talking. But I'm curious whether this is an insurmountable problem like of physics or if people have found good ways to, to work with this issue. And so I'm really curious if some of our listeners have had experience, especially in the, the international type of video conferencing with, with, this time, with this lag time, if there are good ways that people can overcome that to have sort of real-time conversations, whether they're workarounds or this is just something that we have to deal with to learn to deal with. So if you have, if, can, you have, if yeah, if you have an answer, then uh, you can respond to Dennis at, on Twitter at, at Dennis Kennedy, or you can uh, send us an email at TKM report at gmail.com. Well, time it's time for our parting shots at one tip website or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. My uh, parting shot is a very simple parting shot this time, and it is a blog post uh, of curated links. So it was kind of timely, but uh, one of the blogs that I really have enjoyed reading lately is the Backupify blog. Backupify is a software tool that will back up your social media, and they have a really nice uh, blog talking about backup issues, and one of their mo more recent posts is called Top 10 Cloud Computing Blogs to Read. And so it is a list of 10 blogs that talk about cloud computing, give you the 
the latest developments, analyze it, talk about security, privacy, all the issues that you need to know about cloud computing. For those of you who want to keep up on the subject or who just want to learn more about what cloud computing is, we'll put a link to that in our show notes. Top 10 cloud computing blogs to read. Dennis? And I have... uh a, a podcast to recommend. It's uh, Leo Laporte has a, a an interview of of Donald Tapscott, who's written a new book called Macroeconomics. It's uh, Twit Live Special Number Thirty Eight. So, using a combination of those terms, you'll be able to f- to find it in in Google. And Tom will put a a, a link to it in the show notes. Um, when Tom and I wrote our collaboration book, one of the, the first exercises that we agreed to do together was to read uh, Tapscott's book called Wikinomics and to kind of set the framework for what was going on in sort of public social collaboration and the tools out there like wikis. The new book um, and this interview is great. I have not read the new book yet, but I, I, I definitely will, is that uh, he talks about what's sort of new development that's going on in the collaboration space and public collaboration. A lot of really interesting things about generational issues, you know, how smart this, the the younger generations are and how they're using these tools, the impact it's having on uh, uh, economics, working, all sorts of things. And so it's just a great introduction to a lot of the ideas that, that Tom and I think about a lot um, all the time. Yep, I've listened to it, and it is a great podcast. So that wraps it up for this podcast, this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the show. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available in our show notes wiki at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Make sure you find your way back to this podcast. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.